2: And a good morning, Eagles fans. This is Street sixty five with your Mac-a-Mac guys. John McMullen and Jordan McDonald as the countdown continues. Three days in counting till the national football league gets underway. here in Philadelphia. It gets underway tonight, and the Dallas Cowboys will be playing, so we know the Eagle fans have rooting interest. Uh, we'll touch on that game today, but we are here mostly to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. And I just found out something I didn't know. Johnny Mac is heading to Atlanta. I thought maybe you're doing this week's game from the couch. From
3: no, the- I wish kidding. I, I wish I was doing it from the couch. I wish I could do every game from the couch, to be honest with you. But no, I'll be in Atlanta uh, for the big Nick Sirianni era opener. How That's- how how big is that? It doesn't get any bigger. Well, it's it's big enough. I don't know if uh, uh,
2: the Super Bowl from a couple of years ago, I might say, it was slightly bigger, but just me. Um, All right, then let's start there. It is the beginning of the Nick Sirianni era. We go from the first press conference he held that had some people in this town kind of rolling their eyes, maybe even shaking their heads. (laughs) He wasn't a master public speaker. He never had the spotlight turned on him the way it was that day. He's grown into at least that, his ability to get his message out there through the media, through guys like John McMullen and the like. Um, he is at an advantage that other first-year coaches have not had, which is uh, there is still limited media access and a lot of stuff is done on Zoom, so it's not as pressurized as others. How do you think Nick Siriani has grown just in his persona that he puts forth for the public, John Mack?
3: I think he's grown greatly, much more comfortable in his skin, much more comfortable in the environment. He's got to do it three times a week now. So you just get more comfortable doing it, uh, speaking off the cup. So he's much better. I think he was really nervous uh, uh, at the introductory press conference. Rightfully so. I, as you mentioned, it's not something you used to. You talk once a week as a coordinator, Um you know, and people know, by the way, when you're an offensive guy and you have an offensive head coach, it's like Shane Steichen here now. I mean, it's not um, it's not the glaring lights, so to speak, on you. So he's gotten much more comfortable from that aspect. I do have to say, I thought Nick was pandering a little bit with the Phillies. No. Yes. No, you thought that he was, was pandering, pandering yesterday? Well, first of all, you could see the green sticking out. So he we specifically went to put the Philly stuff on for the press conference, took it off. He's wearing a Donovan McNabb T-shirt for practice. Come on, Jody. That's complete pandering. But, you know, if it works, it works. I, I was just saying, come on, Nick, take off the undershirt. We can see the green underneath.
2: It's like a Christmas
3: outfit. So there was some pandering. But, you know, I mean, that's fine. You want to support the other teams. And I just thought it was... It was goopy, and then I think uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny. John Clark asked him about – I think John was first, and he asked him about the Phillies gear, and he gave a quick, I'm a Philadelphia, and I support all Philadelphia teams. And then I think it was Reuben Frank, and it just struck me as funny because <laughs> Reuben kind of asked, have you been getting up sleep or something of that? And Nick laughed, which I thought was funny, kind of endearing, and I think that shows you – how much more comfortable he's gotten in the role, even though he hasn't even coached his first game. But it's been so long since he was introduced to where we are now. It's just much more comfortable. I'll tell you what, Um,
2: even though John McMullen and Jody McDonald, you started it, I follow along, uh, are going to get a Nick series case for pandering. Given the chance to do so, I would do it. 100 out of 100 times. Oh, it's
3: a good plan. Yeah, I'm with you there.
2: Even though uh, guys like us are going to roll our eyes and go, yeah, a little obvious here, Nick. Yeah. Um, There's a good percentage of the fans that won't either pick up on it or won't care. They'll just love the fact that Nick is also a Phillies fan, and he called himself, I'm a Philadelphian now. This yeah. is the easiest city on the planet to pander to. They eat this stuff up hook, line, and sinker. So even if there are going to be some that are going to point to a go, yeah, right, Nick, we're, we're buying. How many Philly games have you been to? Next thing you know, you're going to be a season ticket holder? Stop, yeah. please. Doesn't By the way, matter. Wondered,
3: as, as a larger scale, I've never understood that. You know, people come from all over the country. I remember Jalen Hurts. Jalen uh, had one of his early press conferences wearing an Astros hat. He's from Houston. He's from just outside of Houston. And people are making a big deal. I, I'm like, these people, these these players come from all over. They don't I, poor Danell Pumphrey. He's an example. He loves the Dodgers, loves the Lakers, was always wearing their kind of gear. And obviously he didn't perform on top of it. And he was just, that poor kid, he was the nicest kid in the world. He would just get destroyed. Whereas Allen Iverson can get away with wearing the Yankees hat because he was Allen Iverson. But um, yeah, I've never understood that. I'll never understand and then, that. They come from all over the country, they have different loyalties. They're the key is the loyalty on the football field. And when the football team is paying, you're, you're loyal to that football team. We talked about Corey Clement. Hey, Dallas gave Corey Clement a job, he's an adult, he's going to go to Dallas. Here's the hypocrisy in the way some fans handle
2: people rooting for foot uh teams. Uh, that that aren't the Philadelphia Eagles, if you're a Philadelphia Eagle player or whatever. Um, If a guy, dare a guy come in from another town, as you pointed out, they grew up elsewhere, a fan of somebody else, they want to continue to be lower. How dare you? You are now a Philadelphian. You're in Philadelphia. You must adopt, like Nick Sirianni, all Philadelphia teams. But you get a guy like Rashid Wallace, who goes elsewhere, is playing for another team. He wears his Flyers jersey to any event. And well, by your laws and rights, he should become a Red Wing fan. Because if you move to the town, oh, then you must jump on the bandwagon. You must be loyal to the hometown team. You want Rashid Wallace rooting for the Red, w- Red Wings? I don't think so. People love the fact that he still wears his Philly colors wherever he goes. Can't have it both ways. Can't Mike say- Oh, you got to jump on the bandwagon. You're now Philadelphia. But when somebody leaves Philadelphia, oh no, you got to stay loyal to Philadelphia. That's just dumb.
3: That Mike Trout is the best example of that. Obviously, a huge Eagles fan has stayed. A huge Eagles fan is a season ticket holder for the Eagles still. But I always got a kick out of the 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 fan base. Oh, Mike Trout's coming to coming to Philadelphia at some point because he's an evil fan. <laughs> I mean, that that's not how it works. And obviously that hasn't uh, manifested itself with Mike, uh, who's very happy, by the way, <laughs> where he is because of obvious reasons. Uh, yeah, I've never understood it. I mean, look, I, I, I applaud guys who, you know, outside the sport you're in, Mike Trout, received Wallace, as your example – I I applaud those guys who keep their Philly roots and uh, South Jersey roots in the case of Mike Trout and they, and they wear on their sleeve, their loyalty to the Eagles, the Flyers, whatever. Um, Yeah. I, I, I mean, in, in the sport, who's paying me the most occasionally, occasionally you'll get a little bit of a hometown discount. And by the way, to to profess loyalty much lower level player Will Parks Will Parks Billy Kid uh comes back to play with the Eagles had better offers in Detroit and Minnesota took a little bit less money now we're talking about you know probably 1.25 million maybe took 1.1 i forget his contract took a little bit less money to come to Philadelphia to play for his favorite team from growing up and I cut him mid-season. I mean, come on. Come on, people.
2: And I, I actually thought he was going to be a contributor here. Uh, I had good reports on him uh, from the scout that I talked to who uh, said he's uh, a Philly kind of guy and a Philly kind of player. He plays real hard, uh, just needs to play a little smarter. That was there. I remember the scouting report I got him. But uh, I was pretty enthused about him coming back. And, yes, the Eagles did move on from him rather quickly.
3: Between you and I, I didn't think it was a bad move because I didn't think Will Parks had played very well. I did knew. not play. I saw it early in training camp. They put him in the slot. He couldn't cover anybody, and I said, "You, it's, uh, it's not going to work." But you know, as far as the loyalty aspect, there is no loyalty. No, there's so, none,
2: no. and and that's the way. Believe it or not, that's the way it should be. Despite uh, Nick Sirianni's attempted at pandering yesterday, the fact that he's now a born and bred. Uh, it's, it's, Philly red blood flowing through him.
3: Born and bred Philly red blood from western New York. Yeah, there you go. I'd love to see the Sirianni family. They're probably all Yankees or Mets fans. All
2: right, this is his debut on Sunday, and Uh, I just felt they needed to uh, give him some uh, credit for becoming a better communicator. He talks a lot about communicating with his players. Well, he needed to upgrade his communication game with the fans of Philadelphia in his media sessions that he had. And I think he's done a good job with that. One thing we absolutely don't know, if we know this much about Nick Sirianni's total package, it's about play calling. He is on the record as saying they didn't show much in the preseason. They didn't want to show much in the preseason, but they don't want anyone to know what they're going to do, what their tendencies are going to be. Okay, fine. So we're going in blind, looking at Nick Sirianni, the play caller on Monday and and on Sunday. And yes, it's the first of 17 games. We don't think he's going to spill his bucket here in game number one and show us everything he has up the sleeve. How we how confident are you that Nick Sirianni is going
3: to be an above average play caller? Um boy, I, I'm gonna go 50-50. I hate the hedge, but I mean I have no idea. You know, I just talked about the press conference, um and I told you the first two questions. I was I was number three, and and I got down to the substance sub, stuff substance and and the fact that I wanted to hear about his game planning process. You know, when Doug was here, he would sort of uh, hand things out. He would give third downs to a coach, red zone to a coach, two minute to a coach, you know, running game, uh, vast majority, and they would come together and put it all together and come up with a game plan. So I asked Nick basically if he had a similar type thing, and he said, no, He's, he's going to call the game, and he said, it's going to be really hard for me to hand anything out, without having his hand on it so he's going to be engulfed in this thing it's his game plan It's his game uh, play calling and I've always thought this was a counterintuitive approach and I always tell the story uh, Jody because I talked to Tom Coughlin about it I never understood it because I've told you in the past I'm a big fan of CEO coaches because I think the job is so big you got to you you have so much to manage you can't focus especially as a rookie head coach on just play calling which is bam bam people don't realize if you've ever been on on the on on the field for an NFL game 40 seconds that comes quick man and you got to go you got to have something in the and 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 the and the communication cuts off at 15 seconds so you you got to be ready to go and that means you got to be thinking a play ahead sometimes two plays ahead and when you're focused on that how could you be focused on other things that's always been my thought process so I asked Tom Coughlin about it because when there are ceo coaches and tom was one of them later in his career it's always later in the career it's always they start out as an offensive coach calling the plays defensive coach calling the plays and then they graduate to point where they become ceo type coaches and they feel comfortable enough so I asked, why, why is that? It seems like it should be the opposite to me. And and Coughlin said, it can't be because you got to put your imprint on the building. You got to make sure that everybody's on the page that you want to be on. The last thing you want to do is hand over such an important part uh, to to somebody uh, that's not 100% behind your vision. So you have to establish your vision before you can go in that direction. And I said, that makes some sense. That made some sense to me. But I still look at rookie head coaches, especially rookie offensive coaches as play callers. Look, that's why they got the job. So they have to do it. But man, I, I, he's got a lot on his plate. And he talked about this collaborative process. And that's why I asked the question. And he talks about it. And he said everybody's involved, but he's not handing anything out. Is that really collaborative? I, I don't know.
2: I am 100% with Tom Coughlin on that. I, I, I wouldn't want to hire a head coach who's never been a head coach before who said to me, yeah, you know, I'll be a CEO head coach. We'll get someone else to call the defense, and I'll oversee
3: everything. Yeah, but and you're, be... you're, can I jump in real quick? Okay, you're you you're acting like it's passive. I'm not saying you have, you're passive. Oh, it's absolutely it. passive. I, I'm saying, as a first as a first
2: time you've never been a head coach before in the national football league. your first chance to be a head coach, you're passing off one of the football sides and that's can, not passive. Of course it is.
3: I think you can step into an office and say this is dumb. The way this has been dumb and done in these over the years is dumb and and put your vision down and say, this is the way it should be done. And I think you can come off the opposite of passive. I'm not saying you're not right. You can come off as passive if you hem and haw and say, uh, I don't know if I can call plays in the NFL. I want to, I want, yeah, that's very passive. I don't want somebody like that, but somebody with a vision and saying, look at Bill Belichick, look at Pete Carroll, look at, uh, look at these CEO type coaches, Tom Coughlin, who've had so much success in Super Bowls. I, why? Why is this done? This day? people always talk about innovation, but then they then they sort of morph back into group thing. Well, this is the way it's done. You're hiring an offensive coach; he's got to do that. No, it's what I loved about Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly gets cru- uh, crucified here, and he should because he never adjusted to anything in his life. But I did like when he said he would tell people who came in, "Look, don't don't tell me." We do it this way because we've always done it this way. Tell tell me why we do it this way. I love people who think like that. I honestly do. I
2: got no problem with that line of thinking, but you're hiring a guy. It, 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 please, John, it'll, if it happens in your lifetime, my lifetime, my daughter's lifetime, I'd love to give that person credit. What general manager slash owner is going to hire a guy because he's got vision about how an organization should be run? Are you kidding me? They're going to come in and tell you, it's been doing done wrong all these years. And here's how I would do it. You're basically stepping into the general manager's chair. And oh, by the way, general manager's gotta be the one who's gonna hire you. That's not happening. You could have this pie-in-the-sky vision of how it could best happen. Well, no chance of happening, none. I agree with you.
3: But again, I'm I'm talking about a league, I'm talking about a league and an industry obsessed with innovation. And I think it's ironic because they're so closed-minded. And, and they do. You're right, 100%. It's not going to work. Um, I agree with you. I do agree it's pie in the sky. I just think it's dumb that people can't think outside the box and say, well, this is the way it's always been done, so this is the way it has to be done. And then you have all these coaches who do uh, get into the building, who do establish their vision, who do become great coaches, and then that's the role they go because they want their – their finger in every part of the pie and you don't correlate it to well guess what if, if Bill Belichick went in that direction a little bit quicker he probably would have been great a little bit quicker and 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 so on down the line um but I, I I'm a hundred percent with you it's not going to happen especially with nobody who hasn't proven himself because the league doesn't think that way and the league doesn't think that way because they're afraid to think that way and because they will get crucified it's the same thing. But Joe Banner will always say that's what the Eagles did with Andy Reid. That's what the Eagles – Jeffrey Lori will say that's what the Eagles did with, with, with Jeffrey Lori. They loved his vision. They loved Sirianni's vision. Well, if you love his vision, don't give me uh, his vision because it fits into a pre- preconceived mold that somebody has to have. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, that's but all part I'm of,
2: Part of his vision is the ability to call plays.
3: Well, yeah, but vision. but 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 what I'm saying is Nick has grown up in this industry in this profession where that's the way you do things. That's all I'm saying. That's the way he has to think that way. There's no other option. I'm not saying. And by the way, I'm not saying Nick Sirianni doesn't want to call plays. He wants to call plays. He wants to call plays so much he doesn't want anybody else involved. Uh, he, he's going to do the whole game plan himself. He's not even going to piecemeal stuff out and say, hey you come up with this, you come up with this, you come up with this, and then I'll filter it into the game plan. No, he's going to do everything from the, from the ground up. And look, he, I'm not saying he doesn't want to do it. He wants to do it 150%. I'm just saying there's a better way to do it. That's what I'm saying. And I disagree with you. The better
2: way to do it is to grow into the job. Just saying I have a vision and then passing off a major piece of responsibility doesn't prove to me you deserve to be a head coach in the National Football League. If you're a first-time coach, you kind of got to earn your stripes. Yes, the team is making the decision to hire you, but then when you get in that position, you got to kind of earn it. It isn't just you're given the entire power the day you're hired and you've never been a head coach in the league before. Prove that we made the decision correctly and that you deserve this job. And part of that. Well, here, is uh, like all right. being here's, a good play caller.
3: Here's where I'll also go on this avenue. The titles are wrong in the modern NFL. The titles are wrong. Because when you have, for instance, an offensive head coach, and we just went through it with Doug Peterson and, and Jim Swartz, um, you call them the head coach. You're not the head coach. He's the offensive coach. Jim Schwartz is the defensive coach. Right now, Nick Sirianni's the offensive coach. Jonathan Gannis, the a defensive coach all around this league. Uh, you have got Sean McVay. I, I used to. He, he's the guy, right? He's everybody. That's what Sean. Everybody wants the next Sean McVay. You had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay. You get an interview. You you parked his car. You get an interview. You're a, you're a step back coach. his get back coach. You get an interview. You've been around. You've been in his ethos. You get an interview in the NFL. Everybody wants the next Sean McVay. You go back to season one with the Los Angeles Rams. He didn't even pay attention when the defense was on the field. Wade Phillips was the defensive coordinator, being brought in to be the defensive head coach. He didn't even pay attention. He would go to the offense, sit down with the quarterback on the bench. At times, he would have his back to the field. That is not a head football coach. You know, we always talk about game management decisions. We had Ryan Paganetti on the show. You're going for it on fourth down. You're going you – know, are you going to go for this two-point conversion, vice versa, with an offensive quarter, that stuff. Game game management as far as timeouts. Oh, why is Andy Reid calling that timeout at this time? How When you're so focused – on 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 the next play call on this and that, how are you going to manage the game? That's why I like CEO coaches. That's why I've always liked CEO coaches, and and that will never that will never leave me. And nobody can tell me that Bill Belichick doesn't have a firm. Now he's done it for a long time. Obviously, a lot of it is experience, but he goes down the route. He goes down for a reason, and. They always called us a copycat league, Jody. You've heard that for years and years and years. Why don't you copy the best? Why don't you copy the best then? Right. But didn't Bill Belichick start as a
2: guy who, when he first got his first job in Cleveland? everybody did. Okay, then 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 why would you want to change that? Why would you want to do it differently than the way it went with Belichick? You start on one side of the ball and you graduate to becoming a CEO head coach. Nobody starts as a CEO head coach.
3: If you're 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 focused, then I understand why. I agree with you. Let's stipulate to that. Nobody starts as a CEO head coach. I agree with you. I stipulate to that. What I'm saying is I don't agree with that sentiment. I don't agree with the let's close the door. Let's not talk about it because that's the way it's always been done. That's how you get kicked out of Chip Kelly's office. That's the way it's always been done. It's not an answer to me. Tell me why it's done that way. And why it's done that way is because it's always been done that way. It's not the right answer. Well, I, I'm, I'm sorry, just,
2: John, John. I'm just giving you what I would do, how I would look at it, what my thought process would be if I were the owner of a football I get team. It. not the Philadelphia Eagles, not the Dallas Cowboys, not the New York X NFL team. Make it anytime, any place, anywhere. I'm an owner and I'm hiring a guy. I'm well, not and, hiring and, and, him. A, I'm not hiring him as a first-time NFL head coach because he's got a vision of a CEO coach. I'm not. You have to earn being a CEO coach. You need to prove to me that I've made the right hire for you as my head coach what I'm of my national you, football league team. What I'm simple. saying
3: to you, if I'm the owner, if I'm the owner of this team and you're my general manager and and I'm saying to you, OK, got to get a head coach and you come to me and say, we can't look at this guy because he's got this vision because that's the way it's always been done. That's where I'm shutting you off. Who's who's saying it's because it's always been the way that it's done. You just said that we
2: can replay. I did not say that. What I said was, and I'll repeat it. If I'm an owner, I'm hiring a first time NFL head coach. He's never been a head coach before in the national football. It's a pretty risky hire. When you're hiring a guy who's never done something before, you need to have some criteria as to why you're hiring it. One of those criteria for me is as an owner he needs to prove he can do
3: the job. He has to have a quality. But I stipulated to the fact it's never happened before. That's what stipulation means. I get what you're saying. You're not getting what I'm saying. I'm saying that's not an answer to me. This league prides itself on innovation. This league, oh, Jeffrey Lord, we got to be innovative. We got to be ahead of the curve. We got to do this. We constantly have to be in front of everybody else. And then you're going to come back and say, I'm not going to look at this because it's never been done before. That's my problem, Jody. That's not what you're getting. I agree. It's never been done before. I agree. Nobody's got the balls to do it. I agree with everything you're saying, except for the fact that it shouldn't be talked about just because everybody's afraid to do it. That's my only point. Okay.
2: Here's the only, here's where we differ, John. You think you can determine whether a guy is going to be viable as a head coach through his interview process, because he's going to tell you that he's got this great idea on how to lay out the football team as a CEO head coach and hand off responsibilities to other people. And then the organization is going to run like a top as an owner. And it doesn't matter to me one iota whether anybody's ever done it any way before. Here's how I would do my business. I'm giving you the job, but I'm giving you it on spec. You need to prove to me and just a vision isn't enough. I need to see you actually do something on top of that, and that would be on one side of the ball and be able to call plays. That's what I would use. Not because every team has ever done it this way before in the National Football League. I need something I can sink my teeth into a month, six months, a year, two years into my hiring you as, as my head coach. I need something to judge for myself whether I pick the right guy or not. And for me, the top priority would be there's a lot of things that I would factor in, but the number one would be. Yeah, on what side of the ball are you doing this and how good a job are you doing that? That's what I think would be the best criteria that I could use to decide whether the guy should be my head coach or not. And it's got nothing to do with the National Football League has done it this way for 100 years before. I'm starting from scratch in my mind and making my decision. How can I best analyze whether I've hired the right guy or not? Well, for me, it would be how good can he be calling plays on one side of the football or the other?
3: Well, uh, you're right about. First of all, let me let me say two things. I, there's I'm, I, there's no guarantee that you come into somebody's office, and and lay out my vision, my plan, and I want to be a CEO coach from day one. I'm not saying you're going to be a success by any stretch of the imagination. You're either a good coach, a bad coach, and indifferent coach, and nobody's going to know. Um, nobody's going to know from an interview. You're right. However, that's how you hi- hire guys. In theory, that's 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 where they they swing you. That's why you're choosing the guy. So let's use the Eagles as an example. They interviewed ten different uh, people. If nine of them come in with the same plan and they go, "Oh, Nick Sirianni's the best of the nine, and the ten guy comes in with my plan, doesn't even have to be my plan. Could be a different plan. Could be whatever. Uh, could be, and he's the most impressive but you're not hiring him because he doesn't have the 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 same mentality. I'm an offensive guy, I'm a defensive guy. I'm that, I'm this, I'm this, I'm that. That's where I think we differ. I you know, if the guy's the most impressive and he's got and you're going to say, "Well, this guy's really stinking impressive, but this has never been done before." I'm going to I'm going to scratch him off the list and take number 2 because he's the best of everybody else, he's the best of the group think guys, and that's more comfortable, you're missing out. That's all I'm saying. Uh, And my question to you would be, how can that person be the
2: most impressive if if their first thing they're going to say is, well, I'm going to pass off the most important responsibility on the team, play calling.
3: Well, Uh, you're calling it the most important. I wouldn't be tough.
2: uh, In in my own mind, it would be very difficult for me to wrap my head around and that guy is the most impressive uh, out of this uh, 10 guys. The
3: most important responsibility for a head coach in the National Football League is to win football games by hook or by crook. Not the most important thing is calling plays. How are you going to win football games? You might win them by special teams one week. You might win them. It, it, it doesn't matter. Your, your job is to win football games. That's number one. And that's way ahead of, Uh, the most important uh, 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 responsibility you have. It's not play calling. It is not play calling. It's not even close to being play calling. The most important responsibility, Nick Sirianni, we have to agree on that, Jody. It is not play calling. Here's here's where we don't agree. The 10 guys
2: that you used as an example, nine are guys who are going to choose one side of both. The 10th is not going to. He's going to lay out his game plan as the CEO coach. I'm assuming all 10 of them have never coached in the National Football League
3: before, right? Well, we're talking about 10 10 10 first-time
2: starters who have never been a head coach. Because anybody who has been a head coach, you're right. Winning and losing is the most important thing. You build a track record. So you're a track record head coach in the NFL. That makes you a tougher comparison against anybody else. But if the 10 guys are all first-time starters and they've never coached before, Well, they're all even. No one is ahead of the other. That 10th guy you said is more impressive. No, he's not because he hasn't coached any games. He hasn't won any games. He's not more impressive than any of the others because they haven't coached or won or lost any games. So that's where I'm starting from. They're all, when it comes to being able to win or lose games, there's nothing for you to look at other than their plan, other than their word, other than their vision. There's no uh, analytics to show whether they can or can't win games. That's why I say... There's something You have to be able to sink your teeth into something. And I would say the ability to and the desire to take over one of the two sides of the ball would really well, move I in. wish
3: we had Benny Serrato on today. We're going to have Martin Frank. I'm going to try to get Randy Mueller on. I'm going to try to get Joe Panner. I've been trying to get Joe Panner on. Joe, come on the damn show. But I will say this. There is an old adage amongst general managers in this league that says, and you've heard this, Jody. I know you've heard it because it's right. If you're hiring a scheme, you're doing it wrong. Joe Banner. Now, Joe Banner has told me in the past, and, and, you know, he's very proud of the Andy Reid hire, and he should be. I mean, the guy's going to the Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame coach, and he was not on the NFL's radar. No. A little bit understated, he was on the NFL's radar, but he wasn't a high-profile candidate, very much like Nick Siriano. Um, People knew him, but, you know, in the public, he wasn't very well known. Um, so he's very proud of that hire. And he always talks about, you know, the first thing with Andy Reid that impressed him was, who's your staff going to be? Who's your oh, staff yeah. going to be? So uh, my my only point to you is, even when they do hire the way they do hire, the most important part isn't isn't play calling. It isn't, Jody. It isn't. And we can get your own mind. And I know this, and I ask you because Vinny's your friend. You know, I talked to Randy, you know, as Vinny, ask Randy, ask Joe, they're all going to tell you the same thing. I'm very confident with that. Right, but here's the
2: problem. And I had Jeff Lurie on my radio show shortly after Andy Reid was hired, and he extolled the virtue of Andy coming in, that he had binders, individual yeah. binders yeah. for each of his coaching hires, every position, Tremendously every responsibility organized. There's like going yeah. that he was going to lay it out and he was going to be the guy in truck control. I remember doing the interview. It was 20 plus years ago. And I still remember like it was yesterday, me yeah. and Mac now talking to Jeff Laurie. Reed Andy Reid called the place. Andy Reid came in and wasn't a CEO. Oh, I coach. know. He had a lot of CEO responsibilities and he took it very seriously. But when given the chance to go, oh, and I'll be a true CEO coach and get both an offensive corner and a defense corner and hand off play calling to him, he said, no, I don't think so. I'm going to be calling plays. I know. I just supposed to make the point that it's an important thing and I, and for I, a first-time head coach to do to prove that he deserves the job, keep it long enough, and become a Hall of Fame head coach like Andy Reid. I've read my Jody, case.
3: Jody, 20 minutes ago, I stipulated to that. I stipulated to that. It was never going to happen. That's the way the NFL thinks. So I'm not going to give you an example of it going the other direction. I've already stipulated, not only has it not happened, it's never going to happen. So I don't know why you're trying to win that argument. What I'm trying to tell to you, that even in the environment we're in, the guys doing the hiring will tell you that old adage, if you're hiring a scheme you're doing it wrong. They talk about leadership. They talk about managing people. That's a bigger part of the job, even in the environment we're in. John, even in John, the environment we're in.
2: John, what would you call hiring a guy who wants to be a CEO head coach before ever coaching a game in the league? You know what I would call it? A scheme. That's his scheme. His scheme is, I'm going to be a CEO coach. Why would you do that if you don't hire a scheme?
3: Well, now you're playing some... Okay, so I'll say football scheme. If you're hiring a football scheme, you're doing it wrong. That's what they say. Those aren't my words. If you're hiring a football scheme, you're doing it wrong. They talk about leadership. They talk about managing people. So you can talk about, yes is trying to manipulate people a scheme you can talk about it that way but that's not that what they're talking about they're talking about football scheme and they say if you hire a football scheme you're doing it wrong one of the things I love about Nick Sirianni and I think he's going to be very good at is he is and he said it again yesterday when he was talking about Jalen Hurts and he said if I love a play if Shane Steichen loves a play, if Brian Johnson loves a play, and Jalen Hurts isn't comfortable with it, Jalen Hurts doesn't like it, we ain't going to run it. That's 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 what he said. I think that is a really really positive sign. Where you up? And I always tell the story with Brad Childers, who was once an Andy Reid lieutenant, and Brad Johnson was going to be the starting quarterback when he went into Minnesota, and Brad had obviously won the Super Bowl, come back. Um, He was really excited about getting another opportunity to be a starting head coach in this league, a starting uh, quarterback in this league. And you you mentioned those binders. That's what Brad Johnson was as a player. He was a very cerebral, very smart guy. Late in his career, he had uh, neck surgery. Arm strength wasn't his deal, but he was really stinking smart. And he went into Brad Childress. And he had his binders, a place that he liked to run. And Brad Shelders looked at him and said, Brad, when you become a head coach, you can run what you want to run. We're going to run what I want to run. That, to me, was the definition of a bad coach. That, to me, is the definition of what I'm talking about. Nick Ceriati, we've gotten off on this tangent. Nick Ceriati, I think, has a chance to be a, a very good head coach. One of the reasons I think that is because of his philosophy and you've already seen it in Indianapolis with the different quarter quarter uh, quarterbacks and the different uh, schemes they've run uh, because they've had different styles of quarterbacks. All of that is positive. I'm not blaming any of this on Nick Sirianni. That's the way the NFL does business. I stipulated that they're going to continue to do business that way. I just think it's ironic that a league that constantly talks about innovation is not even open-minded enough to look at another way of doing things. That's all I'm saying, Jody. That is the whole point of this conversation. And all I'm saying is, in as important a position as a head
2: coach, I think that it would be overly risky to try and be the first. Just because you're first doesn't mean you're right. Just because you've done something that no one has ever tried before doesn't mean that it's going to work. I would not feel comfortable doing that if I were an owner to uh, turn over my uh, coaching responsibility to a guy who is ready to become a CEO head coach right away. You have to earn a job. Guys, step into the national football league. We talk all the time about Howie Roseman and how much he protects his draft picks and how much is already cemented into place by your resume, by where you're drafted. You can argue that that's stupid too, because you should just show up and earn it. And I think a coach can actually earn his stripes by calling plays on one side of the ball or the other, rather than just coming in with a grand scheme and plan that because it's innovative, give me a shot to do it. No, I'm, I'm going to ask you to earn it a little well, bit. Well, I'll, I'll we say this,
3: there. and this is last and we'll move on. Cause people are probably tired of us yelling at each other, but um, I, I agree with you. It's risky. Um, no doubt about it, and that's why people aren't going to do it because there is too much risk. Um, and I will say, yeah, innovation is by definition new, but new isn't uh, everything new isn't innovative. So uh, you know, there's a hundred there's a hundred ideas, one of them might be good. But I will say this, the Eagles have won Super Bowl championships and they got it by being innovative and being ahead of the curve when it came to game management. And when it came to being aggressive, they were first. They were first, and they won. Now, you can be first, and it can blow up in your face and be awful. And that's more likely than catching the bolt of lightning and winning the Super Bowl. But they only got one, and they did it by being different than everybody else.
2: And I am not anti-innovation. I am anti-CEO head coach being a first-time starter. That's an innovation I'll pass on. That's too risque for me. That's too far out there. And the Eagles did win a Super Bowl by continuing to be innovated, as you correctly point out, with a head coach who was hired and came in and said, I'm going to call well, the play. Always,
3: I, Again, we're back to the stipulation. It's never, It's never happened, Jody, so you're going to be right every single time. Nobody has hired a, a CEO head coach to start. So, yeah, I mean, you're always, if you're going to lean on that, you're gonna be right, but that's not what I'm talking about. I already stipulated to that. My point is if you're gonna be open-minded, if you're gonna look at other things, don't completely shut down other avenues because that's the way it's always been done. It's my mm-hmm. only point, and that's right. the only and- thing Chip Kelly ever re- resonated with me. I said, you know what? That guy, that guy's right. And like I said, I'm open-minded for innovation,
2: but there are some things that need to be earned, that need to be proved before you can get to an innovative level. And for our first-time head coach, that would be one for me. Show me you can uh, be the man on one of the two sides of the ball. Then we'll talk about uh, restructuring your uh, staff. All right, John McMullen, Jordan McDonald, back and back, guys. Martin Frank's going to join us in hour number two. We'll get back into the birds and the start of the 2021 season in Atlanta on Sunday next year on Birds 365.
4: Hey, Eagles fans, if you're a subscriber to the Jacob Media YouTube channel, you are already registered to win a pair of season tickets for the upcoming season. That's right. You could win a pair of season tickets for the upcoming 2021 season just for being a subscriber. If you're watching and you're not a subscriber, do it now. Subscribe to the Jacob Media YouTube channel right now. What do you need to do? Subscribe right now. Go now to Steersnacks.com.
6: I get scared sometimes.
5: Of a lot of things.
6: Joining in.
5: Decisions. The dark. The dark.
6: But I once heard someone say.
5: But as I always say.
6: It's okay to be afraid.
5: As long as you face the fear.
6: And keep moving forward.
1: Wherever you are in life. Count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross.
6: On the field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.
2: Magamac guys here on Birch 365. The countdown is on. Three days until the Eagles return for the 2021 season. Uh, J-Max, we got info yesterday that the Eagles had, and you got to see it, not the beginning of it, but part of the Eagles practice yesterday. You're in season limited ability to check out practice. A couple guys limited in Eagles practice yesterday, a.k.a. injury issues, and one of which was Brandon Brooks, which a lot of people who are expecting the Eagles to be improved off last year's 411 and one disappointment team are doing so banking on the right side of the offensive line being that much better than it was last year, which of course it should, if Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks are back in the lineup. The Eagles won, as you just recalled for all the uh, Joyce Eagle fans out there, the Super Bowl in 2017 because of innovation and uh, aggressiveness, and those all were good traits. I'll tell you, it's just as much as the fact that they kept the same offensive line together for basically every single snap all year long. Staying healthy at key positions is a key part of winning a Super Bowl as well. Well, we're not 100% sure that Brandon Brooks is going to fill that role because he's already uh, down time right before the first game of the season. Uh, are Are we just like crossing our fingers that Brandon Brooks is going to be able to play all season long for the Eagles this year?
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah, you are crossing your fingers, but I don't know what else you can do. Lane Johnson as well. I, I, I was told that Brandon is expected to play. It's more of a management thing from the training staff trying to get him as healthy as possible to the game. So, uh, limiting his work a little bit during the practice week, but you know, that's not a good thing in week one. Uh, you know, we went through the same thing last year. People forget Lane Johnson had the, uh, tightrope ankle surgery late in August, mid-August maybe, Um, and they would say the same thing. We're going to manage. Lane's going to play. Week one shows up. They take the bus down, whatever train, I forget what they took, uh, down to Washington, and uh, ankle swells up and he can't play. Um, And all of a sudden Lane Johnson is out, and so it began as far as the offensive line. And as far as the historic attrition, yeah, I mean, over 30 guys who have injury histories that you're trying to manage to get to the game, that's a red flag for me, Jody. That is a red flag for me. It is. It should be. And it's the same for Rodney McLeod. Now, Rodney,
2: we more understand because he hasn't practiced all year. He's coming back from a major injury. And we did see plenty of Brandon Brooks, at least out there on the field. We would like to see more reps in practice and or in the games, but at least we did see him participating. We have not seen that with Rodney McLeod. Uh, His being limited yesterday kind of telltale something, as does your boy, Darius Slay, who kind of hinted that it doesn't look like Rodney's going to play week one. I'm guessing that was not something they wanted Darius to get into yesterday, but he did. Um, if not Rodney McLeod, and it is looking more and more likely that he's not going to play,
3: who's going to be filling that void? Well, it's one of two players. But <clears throat> I will say, um, and I don't know if Rodney's going to play or not, but yeah, Darius uh, Slay, as he likes to be called, um, created quite the kerfuffle, but I think it was more of he just didn't understand the rules. And by the way, this is an indictment of the NFL because even the players don't understand the rules. It's such an over-legislated sport. I talk about it all the time. But he thought because Rodney was on the pup list that he had to miss a certain amount of gains, not understanding that he's been activated off the pup list. If he can play, he's allowed to play. He thought he wasn't allowed to play because he didn't understand the rules. So what Darius said, what Slay said, really doesn't matter. Now, what matters is he's limited. He's still wearing a bulky brace. Uh, Week one was always going to be, it was always his goal, but it was always going to be very close from a time frame perspective. December 13th, I think, is the exact date when he tore his ACL it's generally a nine month rehab. You can do the math. That would be September 13th. So um, and you have surgery uh, probably about a week after. So it's really a little bit longer. Uh, I don't know the exact date. I forget when Roddy had the surgery, but you know, you're pushing it for week one. So to be honest, if it were me and the Eagles have been as cautious as they have, and I see that knee brace out there practicing, I would be cautious. I would hold them out, but we'll see how the Eagles go about it. And then it comes down to Kayvon Wallace is out there practicing. Marcus Epps is out there practicing. What kind of of player do you want against the Atlanta Falcons um, who still have a veteran quarterback, Calvin Ridley, you know, Kyle Pitts, we talk about Devontae Smith. I mean, if you think Devontae Smith is going to hit the ground running, you got to you got to think Kyle Pitts is going to hit the ground running. That is a, a very difficult player to deal with, at least on paper. You know, what kind of flavor do you want if you're Jonathan Gannon? He's going to talk uh, later this morning. Um, maybe we'll get a clearer indication, although I doubt it, because this team thinks secrecy is – is a big part of it. Bottom line to me is Jody, I don't think either of them are, are that great. So you, you got to cobble it together. Understood. And we will probably
2: not find out, as you said, till Sunday when they get out there on the field. I doubt your boy JG is going to tip his hand today. He seems uh, smarter than that and playing his cards tight to the vest the way that he does. Two other guys who were limited, no great surprise uh, Dickerson and Taylor both of which Dickinson has never practiced and it's still ramping up is the phrase I like to use uh, for the start of the season. Taylor did get plenty of good action in, in preseason, as a matter of fact, opened some eyes in training camp before he went down. Um, when he comes back, what kind of role is he going to have? Is he going to be spotted just to earn it? Like we're well, now we're back into the conversation of, what is granted and what is earned? Uh, how is Taylor going to get himself back out onto the field?
3: Boy, he missed so much time. I don't know if it's going to be possible. I think the only way he gets himself on the field defensively, he'll be a, a, a big part of special teams. I think, but defensively, is it Alex Singleton and Eric Wilson, and and they don't play well. I mean, if they don't play well, and we're four or five games into the season, and you say, um let's try Davion Taylor. I could see that being healthy, but those guys obviously are going to be on the field. And if they play well, and by the way, Alex Singleton, I think is going to play well, Eric Wilson. Uh, I don't know. Uh, good, very athletic player. Um, good in pass coverage, but really poor in run support. So we're going to see, have to see how that looks. Um, maybe. Having Fletcher Koch and Javon Hargrave in front of him helps uh, if they can keep lockers off him at the second level and he can use that athleticism to flow to the football. Um, But he would be the concern um, more than Alex Singleton to me. And let me circle back one more time to
2: the head coach and we'll get another timeout here. And uh, Martin Frank coming up uh, in our number two, one of our uh, favorite. (laughs) Beat writer, beat rider ego guys. Um, Michael Robinson, remember him?
3: Penn State the, quarterback,
2: uh, full, fullback, former fullback uh, from yeah. Penn State, NFL player
3: turned medium man. Quarterback? Who, was it quarterback? That? He was a quarterback at Penn State. Then he turned into a fullback.
2: Right, yeah. the big size guy. Maybe that's what happens to Jalen Hurts and becomes a superstar fullback. No, we want <laughs> we want him staying a quarterback. As a matter of fact. Um, But he was one of the first to step out and say, my sources are telling me not everybody is buying into Nick Sirianni's rah-rah act in Philadelphia. That there are already some people rolling their eyes with this new first-time head coach who seems to be an update and almost borderline goofy kind of guy. That it was rubbing some people the wrong way, which his sources are his sources. If he's not going to name names and he chose not to... You have to either take them at face value or go, yeah, if you're not naming names, I don't give a you-know-what what you say. Um, has anybody else followed up and gone down that route? Michael Robinson and or any other media guy say that Nick Siriani is not a guy who is being given respect in the evening. No, that,
3: well, that was early. So, number one, I mean, as Michael as a uh, – former NFL player, I, I'm very confident that that's what he heard. I mean, look, I said it from the start. There were players that thought this guy was goofy. I mean, you know, now that he's gotten in the building improvement and they're around him every day, they they they're calmed down. I mean, I, if you look at those first uh, first impressions, yeah, I, to me it was common sense. I mean, yeah, certain guys are going to say, what the hell is this? Um, And then now that he's in the building, they see him every day. I think things have calmed down to the point he's like every first-time head coach, and the players are going to give him an opportunity. And the players are, you know, they're going to be on board if you win. If they lose, they're not going to be on board. So I think we've gotten to that point. But I always said, because that was pretty controversial when Michael first said it, why wouldn't certain people in the locker room be questioning him after that sort of first impression? I I thought it was understandable and, and natural, but I think we've progressed past that to the point of everybody's on board for week one. I mean, everybody's hyped up. That's, you know, sort of like the baseball version of Hope Springs Eternal, they always say in spring training, uh, football week one. I always say, you know, the worst time, I, Jody Atlanta's a bad football team on paper. They're bad. Yeah, the worst time, the worst time to play a bad football team is early in the season because they don't know how bad they are. They're fired up. They're saying Arthur Smith is going to do this. And first time head coach, you get them week 13 when reality is set in and everybody knows they stink. And you got the human nature aspect and the snowball starts rolling down the hill becomes a little easier to deal with a team like that. Um, so I think all of that was just natural. Yeah, there were certain guys that looked at Nick Sirianni and said, you yeah, what is this guy? But now we're past that. And here's where I guess I'm trying to make my point and or
2: call out Michael Robinson. Um, I have a lot of fun doing the show with you today, uh, doing Birds 365 with you. Except maybe today, because you got this bug up your ass about uh, you got to give, got to be the first to create a CEO, first time head coach, which I can't wrap my head. Not around. what I but said, but not. Otherwise, yeah. I you love can't your wrap partner. your head
3: around it. That's what I got my bug about, up my ass. About.
2: I, I, that's uh, I love your partner, even though you're just woefully wrong about this topic. But that's okay. Um, doing the radio show that I do and have been doing for thirty plus years. When you take a stance and make a statement like Michael Robinson did and it had some crappy thoughts, even if it made some sense that people were going to question him because he knew, he he ruffled some feathers when he did that. And he had to know he ruffled some feathers. He felt that it was a big enough story that he wanted to put it out there. How about you address it now three months later or two months later, however long it's been since he ran with that. How about you go back to those sources and say, well, what do you think of Nick Sirianni now? Now that you have been around him for a couple of months, now that you have had a chance to see him coach, now that you have had a chance to see him deal with players one-on-one, did did I miss that Michael Robinson statement story that he has done his follow-up to the somewhat uh, controversial story that he put out there? No. And there's a very simple reason why. He doesn't have to. He can just move on and talk about whatever the hell else he
3: wants. Well, I think that's a bigger indictment of media in general uh the media landscape uh than michael brought, especially television media especially exactly uh, not radio not,
2: guys if you're a yeah. radio guy like me well you got go at that you telephone gonna... number every single night and well, if somebody yeah. wants to call up and say jody here's what you said two months ago i have to face it i have to deal with it i have to yeah. say hey you want to know something you're right i was wrong a lot of these uh, media guys just you know, come in they died bomb and then they disappear
3: well, it's also, if you talk about Nick Sirianni on January twenty-six, whenever he was hired, somewhere in that range, uh, versus wherever we are today, September whatever, um, it, you know, one thing could be true, and another thing could be true. I hear what you're saying. I said at the time, on this show, on other shows, I've said it in print, I think it was natural. That certain people question Nick Sirianni and the goopiness, and I say today, um, a different thing. And I was right then; it was natural, and it's. And I'm right now. Guys have gotten to know him. Guys are more comfortable with him. Uh, I don't think the two things are mutually exclusive. I hear what you're saying about Michael Robinson, uh, but that's just TV media. I mean, that's that that's a bigger problem than Michael Robinson. I mean, you got the Stephen A. Smith's of the world, the Skip Bayless's of the world. You just throw crap out. And that's what they want. And by the way, there's certain radio stations that want that as well. And they have people throw crap out there and they say, well, it'll be forgotten about the next day anyway. Um, but yeah, if you if you want to be credible, if you want to be taken seriously, you got to add the context into it.
2: Well, let me just uh, defend my boy, Stephen A., who I don't always defend because sometimes they think he's nuts. Um, But he he does have a partner every day. So if he says something controversial or off or incorrect or stupid. They never
3: go back. They never go
2: back. Oh, yeah, they do. Oh, yeah, they do. I watch enough of those shows. Oh, yeah, they do. Because don't kid yourself there is it's no longer going to be max mac decided to move on maybe max asked Stephen a too many questions about remember when you said this maybe that's why max is gone i don't even know but they do challenge each other so Stephen a does get called on the carpet they all do a little bit it's the talking heads who just don't take any responsibility for anything they say like i said earlier they come in dive bomb throw down some napalm and then they never address it again my only point is, and you're right, He could be right and right, even though it's two different sides because time and things change. Well, all here's asking, where- All I'm it, asking them to do is address it. Well, Since you're going to come in and throw napalm, there should be- For the ones
1: who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call click Granger.com, or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done.
3: Your follow-up. I always uh, from a personal standpoint, I love the people that, um, and, and this is more of a media on media criticism. They'll go in and say, blah, blah is this, you know, don't kill a player. They'll kill a coach, but they're not coming to the locker room. Well, nobody can come to the locker room. They're not coming to the press conference. They're not answering these guys. You know, I got to do this stuff, and I got to show up and talk to Jalen Hurts. I had a one-on-one with Jalen Hurts last week. I, you know, that's that's you got to be you got to keep your credibility. You can offer constructive criticism, but if you're there every day, it's a lot different than just throwing bombs and saying. Uh, all right. I don't got to see that guy. Right. And that's why I think the job you do is more credible.
2: All right. He's Joe. Uh, he's John McMullen. I'm Jordan McDonald. We are the Mac and Mac guys. We got plenty of time left. Oh, full hour to play. We'll come back and uh, hit on a couple more Eagle topics before we punch up. Martin Frank's going to join us to talk about the opener against Atlanta. Coming up here on Birds 365.
4: Hey, Eagles fans, if you're a subscriber to the Jacob Media YouTube channel, you are already registered to win a pair of season tickets for the upcoming season. That's right. You could win a pair of season tickets for the upcoming 2021 season just for being a subscriber. If you're watching and you're not a subscriber, do it now. Subscribe to the Jacob Media YouTube channel right now. What do you need to do? Subscribe right now. Go now to Steersnacks.com.
6: I get scared sometimes.
4: Of a lot of things.
6: Joining in.
5: Decisions.
6: The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say.
5: But as I always say.
6: It's okay to be afraid.
5: As long as you face the fear.
6: And
1: keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life. Count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross.
6: On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you.
2: Three. One, two, three. Because
6: Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.
2: He is Johnny Mac. I am Jordy Mac. That makes us Mac and Mac 365 here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel, and we just. Played it during the commercial. Quick aside. If you're watching this right now and you saw John and I getting on each other's case in our number one, um and you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, what the hell are you thinking? Yeah. If you're going to enjoy the show enough, enjoy Jacob Media's YouTube channel enough, and you haven't subscribed, I, you're just foolish. All right, I'm gonna. Go ahead. You're an idiot. Why the <laughs> yeah. hell wouldn't you subscribe? It doesn't I like cost that. you a penny. It doesn't cost you anything. And if you're a subscriber, then you are eligible to win Eagle season tickets. How do you not just click on the subscribe button, please? That's like John McMullen saying there needs to be an CEO, yeah.
3: head coach, first time I in like, the NFL. The way, it makes
2: no sense whatsoever. Why wouldn't you do that?
3: I like I like somebody else. Somebody else getting the wrath of Jody Mack instead of me. Idiot. I love that. I love that. I, I I get it I get a little break. I can take a little <laughs> a little sip. I, I somebody else could take that.
2: I, I lose the... I lose my mind every once in a while. And I'll give you one more thing I will lose my mind on. I guarantee you, because I'm on WIP Monday. And we love our streamers here and they give us comments. Uh if if we started answering every single one of them. We never talk to each other. We just talk to the stream like our buddy Barrett Brooks likes to do. So (laughs) not that we don't appreciate you guys who do stream and comment and the like. Thank you very much for doing so. Every once in a while, somebody will give me an idea that I'll bring up a question then for you, John. So please keep doing it. But uh, we're we're not sitting here responding to your responses uh, day in and day out when we do the show. But here's where I will lose my mind on Monday night after the Eagle game is over and done with I hope the Eagles win. I'm absolutely, you want me on record? I'll do so right now. I'm taking the Eagles plus the three and a half. I'm not sure why they are more than a field goal underdog in this game. I think it's a stone cold toss up game. I actually think the Eagles have a slightly better roster. If you factor in home field advantage, usually about a three point swing. I I don't buy it. I, I think the Eagles are a better roster, a better team. Better prepared, two first-time coaches, neither one of them CEO head coaches. Both will be calling plays for their— Never
3: happened, Jody. You don't have to keep saying it.
2: Will be uh, calling plays for their respective teams on Sunday. Here's what's going to happen. I know I'm going to get one call like this on Monday or Tuesday night on WIP, John. And I can't stand that Kevin Burkhart. He was absolutely rooting for the Atlanta Falcons. That Olson guy. Remember when oh, we man. beat him I hate to, when I he hate was it. an e when he was a Carolina. Remember when he was a, and he was rooting again. He was rooting for the Atlanta Falcons. It's the most ludicrous thing ever. Oh, here's,
3: yep, yep, yeah, I'm with you there. See, we we got common ground here. That's good. Um, and
2: here's there's a real easy way to fix it.
3: Turn off your TV. Turn up your radio.
2: If you want guys who are seeing it. Through an eagle perspective, Meryl Reese and Mike Quick will certainly do that for you. They'll give you the call that you want, that you need as an eagle fan watching the game, give you the eagle perspective. If you can't do that, if you're going to be out at a bar at somebody else's house, then don't call me and whine about the the, the guys calling it on TV after the fact. Because here's what they're not doing. They're not seeing it through eagle-colored glasses. And they're not supposed to see it through eagle-colored glasses. They're supposed to be doing an objective, third-party analysis of the game. And you don't see it that way. You don't want it that way. That's great. Turn on Mike and Merrill. They'll give it to you the way you want. But don't watch it on TV and then call me and go, I can't believe they get these guys to do eagle games. And they openly (laughs) root against the Eagles on TV. Don't just please don't do that with
3: me Monday or Tuesday. I'm I'm with. I think the ironic part I've always pointed out. I don't think people realize because you know NFL Films is in Mount Laurel. I don't think they realize how many people doing these games are actual Eagles fans and local people. Uh, Number one, that's number one. There are certain guys like let's let's be honest. I mean, Troy Aikman and Tony Romo uh, specifically have risen to the top of their profession. They're former Cowboys quarterback, so they're hated, obviously, by, by Eagles. They're also really good. That's why they rise to the level they did. Um, but, yeah, I always found it amusing that, you know, there's so many local NFL films people that are just unabashed Eagles fans, and Eagles fans think the exact opposite. If anything, the Eagles have more people in their corner than any other team in the NFL when it comes to – uh, uh national TV broadcast. And by the way, they hide it. Most of them do a really good job yeah. and, and try to be as objective as possible. Um, but I always found it. I just thought, you know, NFL Edipo- Films is thinking about Laurel. Do people not know that?
2: They do, but they don't care because they think that everyone should see things. So we go call it glasses. All right. Um, Eagles did make a roster protection yesterday. You have the ability to protect guys on your practice squad so someone can't come in and pilfer them just before a game's going to uh, happen. And they put a couple of guys on the protected list. That I wanted your take that I'm sure some of them, well, I think it's two, are actually going to be elevated to the roster because you can do that in the NFL. You can call, quote-unquote, pull-up guys. (laughs) Jordan Howard, John Hightower, Uh, Raven Clark and Elijah Riley. Um, No surprise with any of them. I guess we could go through the entire practice squad and say, ooh, why this Mm -hmm. guy instead of that guy? Hightower instead of someone else. What do you read into the four that they protected? Who do you think will be elevated for the game on
3: Sunday? Well, I, I... I think we talked about it a little bit last week. The Eagles all last year they they protected their max every week. They were one of the few teams who did. So it doesn't surprise me that they did it again. Uh, that's the way they do business. And
2: um, let me let me ask you a question because you're you're more knowledgeable in this than I am. Why wouldn't you protect your max? That's
3: a good question. If but you're given up, a, yeah. a
2: a high number of four, why wouldn't you protect all four? Do you have to pay them more? No, to protect them, no. or
3: no, you're just, you just keeping another make...
2: team from taking you. Why, why would a team, why would not every team in the league turn a list yeah. of four in every week?
3: It's, it, it, I agree. It doesn't make sense to me. You got to do it by Tuesday. Um, I don't know. Maybe people are too busy. I, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, it, it, what it, what it stems to me is they don't care. Uh, I think it makes a clear indication that, all right, if you want to pelper this guy, does we don't care. Um, so certain teams do too. you know, the guys who are, they're going to probably elevate the Eagles are always going to do their max. And by the way, you're right. I think that's a good thing. Um, doesn't hurt to protect the guys that you you could project to be part of the roster down the road. I think for this week of those four, the Elijah Riley is probably going to be elevated. We talked about Rodney McLeod. He's also a good special teams player and Jordan Howard. Uh, to me, is probably going to be elevated to be that uh, uh, other piece of the puzzle at the running back position That between the tackles, short yardage guy. Those would be uh, the guys I think most likely. Uh, but you can, uh, I, you know, even John Hightower, if you need a special teams player, if you need a gunner, I guess I, I talked about Cordaro Patterson a little bit, little concern there. Uh, you typically don't have to worry about kickoff returners in the modern NFL. He's probably the, the lone exception. Um, so maybe John Hightower, I would say LaRaven Clark is the one that uh, isn't going to be activated for a couple reasons. He's still, you know, coming off the Achilles. He probably still needs a little bit more time. But in an offensive line deficient league, it's good to protect the offensive lineman because somebody could pilfer for him. Um, yeah, I think they do a smart thing. Uh, by protecting everybody they can every week.
2: One thing you said caught my attention, um, John Hightower for his special teams capabilities over well, J over J Jay- Wait well, a minute, them. wasn't wasn't JJ Whiteside a killer special
3: teams participant this spring? And that's why he's on the 53 to begin with. Well I think you can chuckle about both of them. But John at least has you know significant speed. So. yes You could project him as being a gunner. I've never seen him do it successfully, but, um, I, you know, the the one thing I talk about this coaching staff, and maybe they're doing the other work. We don't get to see the walkthroughs, but I got to tell you, Jody, they cannot spend a lot of time on special teams. Now, maybe they're doing it in different avenues, as I said, where we don't get to see it, but I'm a little bit concerned about, uh and and not the specialists more of the the coverage teams i'm like i you know they lost rudy ford uh, craig james was their other gunner who was injured and he's on the practice squad um they for whatever reason released him maybe because of the injury uh but he's back um i don't i don't know i don't see a lot of for years you know Chip Kelly, again, too many Chip Kelly references on this show. He brought Dave in here. And, you know, for a long time, the Eagles had, they were at the top of this league special teams-wise. And I think one of the reasons why was because they identified the Chris Maragoses of the world and the Brian Bramans of the world and the Najee Goods of the world who were just good special teams players. And you probably didn't want to play in defense. No, not probably. You didn't want to play defense. But they were really good special teams players. They don't do that anymore. They did it with Rudy Ford, but then they let Rudy Ford walk. I, I, in, in Jacksonville, by the way, is raving about Rudy Ford. Um, nobody cares about special teams right up until you do care about special teams, if you know what I'm saying. And when you give up the big return and you go, well, what, what's going on here?
2: Well, I think, I think you kind of answered your own question there. I think that it has been de-emphasized because so few kicks are actually returned anymore. Special teams are four, 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 four sections. Kickoff return, punt return, punt coverage, kickoff coverage. Two of them have been minimized because everybody just kicks it into the end zone.
3: There are no. There, there are so few. <laughs> yeah, Kickoff I agree returns, with them. Kickoff kickoff returns off- I agree with you. But punt returns are still a big deal. and. Again, the were uh, uh, games that you're
2: planning on, and two of them have been – now you're down to just two. You've no, cut I'm in half there. the importance of the special teams. If you think, so what? they they got to jog down underneath while a guy lets the ball go out of the back of the end zone. Anybody can do that.
3: And Well, yeah, and I've said, you know, I can't tell you how many people – and people say it here because the Eagles are playing the games with who's going to be the kick returner, who's going to be the pump returner. And people ask me, he's going to be the kick returner. And my standard answer, and I'm not trying to be a jerk, is who cares? Who cares? The only reason you care, if the ball is kicked three yards in the end zone, the Eagles are taking it to 25. This is literally the only week where you should care. Because if you kick it five yards in the end zone, the guy's going to take it out. If you kick it seven yards out of he might take it out. If you are it nine yards deep, he might take it out. So it might be an issue this week. You're right. Overall, who cares? Because why, they
2: are going to. That's um, why the present coaching staff aren't paying as much attention as you're used to getting regular for the season. All right, Martin Frank's going to join us uh, in just a second. One question before we go to break. The Eagles' two gunners on at least uh, punt team on Sunday are going to be who, Johnny Mack?
3: Ooh. Let me think about that over the break. Okay, we'll take
2: take a break and then we'll punch And if you don't know, I guarantee you Martin Frank does. So you better know when we come back, McMullen. It's McMullen and McDonald here with you on Birds 365.
4: Hey, Eagles fans, if you're a subscriber to the Jacob Media YouTube channel, you are already registered to win a pair of season tickets for the upcoming season. That's right. You could win a pair of season tickets for the upcoming 2021 season just for being a subscriber. If you're watching and you're not a subscriber, do it now. Subscribe to the Jacob Media YouTube channel right now. What do you need to do? Subscribe right now. Go now to Steersnacks.com.
6: I get scared sometimes.
4: Of a lot of things.
6: Joining in.
5: Decisions. The dark. The dark.
6: But I once heard someone say.
5: But as I always say.
6: It's okay to be afraid.
5: As long as you face the fear.
6: And keep moving forward.
1: Wherever you are in life. Count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross.
6: On the field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you,
2: Seven, zero, three. One, two, three, because
6: Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia Bank. Birds
2: 365 here on the Jacob channel we are just days away from the start of the 2021 Philadelphia Eagles season here to give us a before it gets underway look is our buddy from down in Delaware you read them every single day either online or if you're still grabbing the newspaper god bless you if you do I still like to I, I I don't get out often enough to do so But if I see one, I just feel the need to grab it and see if I can get ink on my hands. Our buddy Martin Frank from uh, the Delaware News Journal here with us on uh, Birds 365.
3: How are you, Martin?
7: I'm doing all right. How about you guys? Great to be here, as always.
3: Yeah, Thanks for joining us, Martin And for those who don't, Martin lives in Pennsylvania, by the way Don't give him that Delaware credit anymore, by the way But no, he's obviously, yeah, shush about that I do want to talk about, uh, obviously, week one, very big week Martin, Frank, the initial game in the Nick Sirianni era uh, You got to see the head coach pandering a little bit in his Phillies gear yesterday With the green t-shirt underneath, by the way Uh, Nick should have let that out but your your thoughts on this opening game and 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 going down to Atlanta gets another rookie head coach and the fact that Nick has talked about this uncertainty he thinks he has an advantage Well, all of a sudden he's going to face a rookie head coach with in theory an advantage
7: yeah it's it's going to be interesting because I don't think we really got a chance to see what Nick Sirianni has in store I mean during the whole preseason I mean most of the starters barely played if at all Um, and when they did play I mean everything was kept pretty close to the vest Uh, you know it was very basic you didn't see Jalen Hurts running around you know design runs or RPOs or anything like that Um, you didn't see Miles Sanders as a receiver you barely saw Miles Sanders at all and you know you didn't see a whole lot from the wide receivers I think Devontae Smith played uh one half of the second game, you know, he had a couple balls thrown his way, but you know, very basic type of patterns and stuff. So so yeah, I mean, you know, Nick Siriani's wanting to keep that element of surprise going in the first game. And you know he has. But you know, after after Sunday, you know, everybody has the same tape. Everybody knows what he's gonna be about and stuff. So, you know, the element of surprise might have lasted, might last one game, but that's about it. After after Sunday everybody will have a pretty good idea of what Nick Sirianni's offense and and defense, you know, under Jonathan Gannon will look like. And, Martin, the Eagles handled their
2: usage of the personnel in their three preseason games and the all-important joint practices, which you guys get, got to see, but none of us got to see. But we trust you guys when you report on them. Uh, Eagles uh, made it sound like these were the most important days of the Eagle calendar, those four days against the Jets and the Patriots, which supposedly mm-hmm. they won all four. We'll see. Unbeaten.
3: Banners I'm be- going I'm up on week in two,
2: joint practices. San yes. Francisco. Uh, I don't think they're going to hang a banner, but you never know. They may. You're going to keep an eye out when you're down there at the facilities. Um, we're going to judge them on Monday on how they produce, right? Not on how healthy they stayed, because they are relatively healthy going into the game, and then we'll have a read on them coming out of the game. If somebody goes down with an injury, I guarantee you at least one guy is going to say, you know, if he would gotten more reps in preseason, maybe he doesn't get hurt. Right, wrong, or indifferent. That might be a stance someone takes. Uh, yes, um, is is Nick Sirianni ready for all this stuff? Is he up to uh, being second-guessed because it's going to happen as soon as the game's <laughs> over, unless they win forty-five to nothing and come out completely
7: healthy? Yeah, there there are like two ways this can go, right? I mean, you know, they come out in the first game and they have like a Chip Kelly type of game back in twenty thirteen, where they just like ran rough shot over Washington to the point where the I, I remember that game vividly. I mean, yeah. you know, they were so tired. The Washington defenders were so tired. They were like faking injuries to, just to get a stoppage in play. So, you know, obviously if it goes like that, everyone's going to think Nick Sirianni a genius and and the greatest coach ever. And he yeah. goes, oh, yeah, i not going to lose the game. But, you know, like you said, if, if uh, for example, Brandon Brooks, you know, were to get hurt or Miles Sanders pulled a hamstring or something like that, and then, then you're like, well, what was all this like non-practicing, you know, shorter practice? What was all that for if these guys are getting hurt anyway? So, yeah, I mean, it could go either one of two ways. It could be like the greatest thing ever or, you know, he'll be second-guessed like crazy on Monday.
3: And by the way, week one, the first injury report shows up, Martin, and they're trying to manage uh, Brandon Brooks to get to the game. Uh, Week one. So uh, when you're talking about over 30 players who have an injury history, it's always going to be a little bit of a concern. But one positive I I love from Nick Sirianni yesterday, and I want to get your thoughts on this, when he was talking about Jalen Hurts. And he sort of mentioned, you know, if I love a play, if Shane Steichen loves a play, Brian Johnson, and Jalen doesn't like it or doesn't feel comfortable with it, we ain't going to run it. I think that to me is a positive for Nick Sirianni. It seems like he's not going to be that coach, you know, who pounds the square peg in the round hole. Uh, it, I'm looking for optimism here, here. Did you get the same read on that?
7: I did to an extent. I mean, you know, that was kind of the thing with like, you know, Carson Wentz, um, you know, Doug would one off and say, you know, we, we talk with, Doug, with Carson and, you know, we go over plays and he'll make suggestions and everything like that. Well, I mean, obviously last year didn't turn out so well. And, you know, there were reports that, you know, Carson was kind of freelancing going on his own. I mean, I don't think that would be the case with Jalen Hurts, number one. I mean, you know, he's only started four games before he's got a new coach. But I think to some extent, you know, I, I do agree with you in the sense that you know, Nick and and Shane Steichen and, and Jalen Hurts and and Brian Johnson, the quarterback coach, have all gone over over and over. You know, for months, basically, what kind of offense they want to run, what kind of plays they want to run for Jalen Hurts, what kind of plays will maximize his strengths. And and there was some, I'm sure there was some give and take. I'm sure Jalen was like, well, yeah, this play would obviously work really well for me but maybe not so much this play. And, yeah, from that point of view, I think it, it's it's a good thing what Nick was saying yesterday. But, you know, I don't think Jalen Hurts is the kind of guy who, who just get carried away with power and say, well, no, we're going to run this play. I'm going to overrule you or anything like that. I don't think it would ever get to that kind of situation. Um, I think Jalen Hurts is smart enough, and I think the coaches are smart enough to realize, yeah, we can give Jalen Hurts some kind of leeway, but we're not going to, like, you know, we're not going to turn it all over to him. I mean, we're the coaches, this is our system and you know, he's got to like work within that, but I think there will be some give and take. And and I think it'll be a better situation than maybe the last year with Carson and, and, and Doug Peterson. Martin, I certainly want to get your take. Uh, but if John, you want to jump
2: in with a comment, we got off on a tangent. Don't know if you watch the first hour here, Martin, we got off on a tangent on CEO coaches. I didn't get the, to, to this with John, my bad. Um, Howie Roseman yesterday on WIP kind of took a backhanded shot at Carson Wentz uh, saying that, yeah, you know, we did draft Jalen Hurts in the second round, maybe because every playoff game we played for the last several years, we've had to use our backup quarterback. He has been reserved at taking shots at Carson Wentz since he went out the door,
7: but kind of took one yesterday. What do you make of that? Uh, I found it pretty interesting. I mean, you know, Carson – Obviously, with the injury history and everything, they've had to use their backup quarterbacks. But I mean, I think that's a general statement um, around the NFL. I mean, if you don't have a good backup quarterback and and your starter gets hurt, you know, you're pretty much sunk. I mean, look at Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. If anything <laughs> were ever happen to him, I mean, you know, obviously now they have Jordan Love in the first round. But you know, the point is, there's a big drop off from the starting quarterback to the backup quarterback, and you know, the Eagles have always kind of like. Invested pretty heavily in that, whether it was you know Nick Foles before that with the Super Bowl run and and the playoff runs in the, in the next few years. But, you know, I, I don't know if it was like a shot at Carson per se as much as saying, yeah, we need a good quarterback. And that's why we drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. And when you look at it, I mean, drafting J- Jalen Hurts was kind of like a cheap alternative to signing, you know, like a $10 million backup. So. I don't know. <laughs> he no, was, he I'm was with trying- you.
3: And and they did the same thing this year with Gardner Minshew, bringing him in to be right. the cost-effective right. backup in theory moving forward, at least for a couple of years. So I've always called it a vacuum pick from Howie. I think it makes perfect sense in a vacuum. But I do, you know, I, I do think he didn't learn from the mistake. Look, we can look at it in hindsight now and say that affected Carson Wentz. So mm-hmm. either either they think Jalen Hurts is just stronger minded or they don't care uh, or they're just going to bring in quarterbacks. And that's not the philosophy of a lot of teams in this league who want competent backup quarterbacks, but their part of their job description is support the starter, not, you know, be Mr. Nick Sirianni competition, just support the starter Which which way do you think is the proper way to go? I would say support the
7: starter. I mean, you you want you want a guy like, you know, for example, Joe Flacco um, to come in and, and be able to like mentor Jalen Hurts in a sense, you know, give him pointers and stuff like that. That's why like. You know Chase Daniels still in the NFL. Um, he's thrown maybe what ten passes yeah. in his career. He's, business he's,
3: Hall of Famer, uh, our friend Andrew Brandt would call him. Yeah, business. Yeah, Hall he's of made
7: like a hundred million dollars or something like that in his career and thrown maybe ten passes. I mean, I'm probably <laughs> exaggerating a little bit on those numbers, but you know it's not far off. I mean, and yeah. the reason why coaches love him is because you know he supports the quarterback. He's he's like an extra quarterback coach in the room, and I'm not saying that's always the best thing because obviously if, if Chase Daniel has to play your season's pretty much over, but at the same time, I mean, you know, you look at the starters that he's been with and they've all gotten better under his tutelage. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the extent that you want to have a backup quarterback, you know, to be able to kind of support the starter, to be able to like, you know, point out things even during the game, like, you know, if Jalen Hurts throws a bad pass and they come off the field on third down um, you know, maybe Joe Flacco will go up to Hertz and say, all right, what were you looking at here? Why did you do that? I mean, you should have done this, this and this. I mean, and and sometimes that has a lot more effect than let, let's say it's coming from a screaming quarterback coach or offensive coordinator <laughs> saying, totally missed the play, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think there's some value in that, definitely. Here's where
2: this is the second time I'm going to play NFL team owner today. I did it now in the one with John. I'll do it again. You want a $150 million contract? Look me in the eye as I tell you this. We're going to bring in good backup quarterbacks. They may or may not support you. I'm supporting you by giving you a $150 million contract. (laughs) Suck it up when we bring in a good backup quarterback. You're not going to be whining about this. You're not going to lose your mind like Carson Wentz did when you signed this $150 million contract. We bring in a good backup quarterback. Are you if you can't look me in the eye, then I take the hundred fifty million dollar contract. contract. Yeah. I mean, I that's that's,
7: that's probably one of the most stunning things that that happened last year. I mean, just the way, you know, it was obvious it affected Carson Wentz, and it was obvious that it kind of led to his downfall. And and yeah, I mean, all like you said, all the signs were there. I mean, they gave him that hundred fifty million dollar contract. They said you're our franchise quarterback, and still he felt threatened by drafting Jalen Hurts in the second round, and it just didn't make any sense. And, and I I don't understand that. I mean, I, I didn't think that was kind of like what Carson Wentz was all about. I mean, I know Jalen hurts. Isn't about that. I don't think he cares that they brought in Joe Flacco, that they traded for Gardner Minshew. I mean, Jalen hurts is obviously in a different situation because he's not yet the franchise quarterback and he pretty much has this season to prove it. But if Jalen hurts is a strong character guy which all indications are that he is and he's going to go out and try to prove that he deserves to be that franchise quarterback and and they can use the three first round picks next year on bolstering other positions instead of like maneuvering to get a franchise quarterback and you know that's the way Jalen Hurts should be approaching it he's not competing against Flacco or Gardner Minshew he's competing against the 2022 draft pick or he's competing against a trade for I don't
3: know. I'll throw out Deshaun Watson. But yeah, probably- throw him out there. <laughs> throw him out there. Now, I, I, you know, I think you're right, by the way, Martin, as far as personality, Jalen Harris isn't going to be affected like Carson Wentz was affected. But I am going to I'm, gonna try to get back in the good graces of my host, who I got fired up earlier, um, <laughs> by giving you the hypothetical. Here's the problem this time around. Mm-hmm. Eagles get off to a bad start. How quickly do the fans start clamoring for Gardner Minshew? Because now they have an option. Now they have an option. You've given them an option. So if the Eagles start poorly, you have this different avenue that Howie Roseman opened that I think this team isn't good at looking down the road, down the the possible uh, uh uh, hurdles that moves like this can cause because let's face it, Martin Gardner Minshew is more accomplished than Jalen hurts. He's the guy with the stats of the passer rating and the touchdowns granted on a bad football team, but fans aren't going to put that context in there. They're going to say, we got a guy here who proved he can play a little bit. So for Owen four, say, does that start? Well, let me throw this back at you. Um,
7: in in this sense, if the Eagles are 0 and 4 and Jalen hurts is playing awful, I mean, isn't that more a reflection on Nick Sirianni and the coaches and and the the team he's got, I mean, if, if you're thinking at 0 4, you know, the, the only fix you can do right now is change quarterbacks. I mean, you're obviously in, in deeper trouble than just, you know, Jalen hurts at quarterback. Um, I think that's kind of like, uh, a bad statement on on the whole team, basically. It's a bad statement on the coaching staff. It's a bad statement on Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie for saying, you know, who is this guy, uh, Nick Siri that you hired? I mean, he can't do anything, and, and they're awful. I mean, you know, you look at it, the Eagles have had, what, six months, I guess, since April, five months, to prepare for this moment. And with Jalen Hurts as a quarterback, they've known that all along. And if they can't come up with some kind of plan to – you know, make him effective, then then that's on them. I mean, Gardner Minshew is not going to be the answer. If they're 0 4, no, and, I agree. Out Jalen Hurts but and Gardner Minshew. Well, they're real not quick, be Martin. For weeks.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Real real quick, though. Here's the problem you could be 0 4 and not be terrible. If you lose that first game to Atlanta, that's the winnable game. You have San Francisco's a good football team. Uh, Dallas, we, we don't know, but it's on the road. And then who's week four? Is that Kansas City or? or? No,
2: Kansas City's five. Who's it? Who uh, Tampa Bay is week four. Tampa- oh, there
3: you go. <laughs> so against the we, we, we could be five, five weeks at Kansas City on top. That That's a really difficult early part of the schedule if you don't get things done in Atlanta. So you can, in theory, play pretty well and just lose to good football teams exception of the Falcons. And people will still be clamoring because there's another option is what I'm trying to say. Or am I overstating that?
7: You might be overstating it at 0-4. I mean, if it's 0-8, I think that's a different story. But I, I think like, like you said, I mean, the schedule's pretty tough at first. And I think the Eagles are a team where they're going to play better as the season goes along. I mean, you know, it might be a rough start for them, but you know, they finish up with the five, um nfc east games division games and you know they might not have a very good record going into like november and december and you know like you said if they're in those games and and they're pretty competitive most of them i don't think fans would be you know that distraught or that or you know saying oh we got to get you got to change everything around um but at the same time i mean you know, if they're getting blown out pretty early, if, if they lose to Atlanta and then come home and get blown out by San Francisco and then, you know, go to Dallas for that Monday night game and you're looking at 0-3 and and two of those games have been uh, pretty non-competitive. I mean, <laughs> there are going to be some questions, obviously. And, you know, you got to, you know, they got to make some kind of adjustment in that case. But, you know, if it's competitive and stuff, come back and and then they have, like, Kansas City and Tampa Bay, you know, both games at home, both against Super Bowl, um, the Super Bowl teams from last year. I mean, I don't think people are expecting, you know, a big win. Although, I think, isn't uh, Tampa Bay games on a Thursday night and Thursday Tom, Brady night, yeah. yeah. Tom Brady on a short right. week? Tom Brady on a short week having a trouble, you never know.
2: <laughs> uh, let me uh, correct uh, – I tried to correct John. John was right. Kansas City is the fourth game. Tampa is the sixth game. So, wow. yeah, if, if they're 0-3, but they lose 34-37-34 30, to Mahomes, or are you all going to, oh, get Jalen Hurts out of there. He's 0-4. What are you talking about? He threw four touchdown oh, passes. Oh. He almost went mano a mano with Mahomes. He lost the game. So there's more to it than just the record. That's the number one determining factor. But there are other factors as well. Uh, one other thing. Sounding like Bob Groats here, the Delaware competition. He really did go 0-8, John. Martin went 0-8. <laughs> Roach is our favorite. He, he sees the Always doom just, and gloom of the season uh, coming this year. I uh, Let me hit you with a hypothetical. Oh, tell me Martin's not freezing on us. All right. Still there. Hypothetical. We'll use the numbers 11 and 6. If the Eagles are 11 and 6 at the end of the season, the main reason why is going to be what, Martin? What is going to kick in? What's going to be good for the Eagles? Eagles are going to be 11, uh, 6 and 11 and it's going to be a long season again, the main reason is going to be what? What do you see as the major determining factors, upside, downside to the Eagles season? Uh, so we got wifi. You
7: were kind of breaking up a little bit. So what would be the, what would be the determining factor I'll, if they go 11? Working
2: on the 11 and 6, 6 and 11. Either 6 and 11 or 11 and 6. What's the reason that it's going to go real well for the Eagles? What's the fact that it's going to push them down to another poor season at 6-11? All right.
7: I would say what would go well would be Jalen Hurts and, and the wide receivers. Like Jalen Rager takes off. Devontae Smith takes off. And you have a really good – you know, there's really good um, – and, and the offensive line as well. Six 6-11, that means there are a lot of injuries – Um, The schemes aren't very good. Jalen Hurts isn't isn't running well. The defense is terrible. Um, And and you start questioning, you know, Jonathan Gannon as defensive coordinator, a guy's 35 years old. What does he know? You know, why didn't they hire like a Jim Schwartz or even like Atlanta has with Dean Pease, you know, a veteran type of guy who knows the defense. So all those things. You know, it could go one way or the other. I mean, you could look at this coaching staff as being a genius if they end up finding a way to go eleven and six, or you can look at them being overmatched if they go six and eleven, and you got to get yourself a new quarterback next year.
3: All right, Martin, we got to talk about the Falcons a little bit. And Reed Martin at DelawareOnline.com. Make sure you check out his coverage in advance of Week One. Everybody's got good players in this league, but the Falcons. Don't look like the best team on paper, but if you do look at them, um, what do, what are you fearful of? If you're the Eagles defensive coordinator, if you're JG, um, if you're Nick Sirianni looking at the Atlanta defense, what players are you worried about?
7: Um, I'm worried about number one, Kyle Pitts. <laughs> um, you know, he's he's a rookie um, tight end and, and he's supposed to be like, revolutionized position. And I could see a guy like that, you know, 6'6, 240 pounds, runs like a 4'4, 4'5", 40. I could see him just terrorizing the middle of the Eagles defense. I mean, I think he's going to be a tough guy for the Eagles to contend with. Um and you know, you got a quarterback in Matt Ryan who, you know, can pretty much make any throw. I mean, yeah, there isn't the element of surprise that the book Jalen Hurts because Matt Ryan doing it for so long and he's one of the best to do it for so long. So, you know, that's, you know, what you're going to get from Matt Ryan you're going to get a pretty darn good quarterback. And a guy like Kyle Pitts can just, I could see him having a big first game. Most tight ends have always killed the Eagles. I go back, you know, last year you saw that George kill. Um, you saw that with, uh, Well, I mean, he's not a tight end anymore, but he was in college, and and Chase Claypool and everything. And a guy like Kyle Pitts, I could just see him being really tough to handle. That would be the one thing I would be worried about if I was Jonathan Gannon on defense. Martin, great
2: stuff. We appreciate you coming on. You know we're going to tap into you plenty during the season. Uh, and yes, we won't put you in the category of Bob Grote. He is the most negative guy we have on the show. <laughs> Feel free. to. No, we're not going to do that to you. Uh, appreciate it greatly of you joining the show today. We'll talk to you again soon, Martin. John, will see you before you know it. Yeah, Martin's freezing up. Uh, unfortunately, that's that's what you get when you're streaming shows. You are at the mercy of the strength of the connection. And uh, I think we probably missed a couple of Martin Anther, but uh, it was worth working our way through it because Martin Frank does a great job covering the team. All right, uh, he's Jody Mack. I'm Jody Mack. We come back. We still got about 10 minutes to go before we put a bow on the show leading into Eagles week one against the Atlanta Falcons here on Birds 365.
4: Hey, Eagles fans, if you're a subscriber to the Jacob Media YouTube channel, you are already registered to win a pair of season tickets for the upcoming season. That's right. You could win a pair of season tickets for the upcoming 2021 season just for being a subscriber. If you're watching and you're not a subscriber, do it now. Subscribe to the Jacob Media YouTube channel right now. What do you need to do? Subscribe right now. Go now to Steersnacks.com.
6: I get scared sometimes.
4: Of a lot of things.
6: Joining in.
5: Decisions.
6: The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say.
5: But as I always say.
6: It's okay to be afraid.
5: As long as you face the fear.
6: And keep moving forward.
1: Wherever you are in life. Count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross.
6: On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you.
2: On three. One, two, three. Because
6: Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.
2: Coming down the home stretch of another Birds 365 episode. Subscribe to the channel. I don't want to get off. I'm going to do this professionally, John. It would be advantageous. It would be wise for you to subscribe to the Jacob Media YouTube channel. If you haven't heard the promo, we're giving away Eagle season tickets to be eligible. Thanks to those of you who have already subscribed. You are already eligible. If you haven't yet, what the hell are you doing watching the channel? If you're oh not, not going to get nuts, I'm sorry. My apologies. Uh,
3: please subscribe. Like to the it. channel. I like, I like when the vitriol is aimed at someone else, Jerry. That would be the people watching the show right now
2: who haven't subscribed yet that are just kind of nitwits, but uh <laughs> no, not going to call them nitwits, even though they are. Um, Jay Mac, we've got football tonight.
3: Bucks, yeah. How about Cowboys, that? I getting ready for out. it.
2: Very much looking forward to it. Um, no, no radio shows, no nothing. I'm just going to sit back. Football fan, watch TV tonight. Cowboys don't have a chance against the Bucs tonight, do they?
3: I would think not. Um, you know, the Cowboys can score some points. I think there's a lot, you know, is Dak Prescott going to be healthy? You know, Zach Martin's probably not going to play. I'm not sure if he's ruled out. Oh, I think
2: the, I read this morning he he's ruled officially
3: out. ruled out. Yeah. yeah. So that obviously hurts. Uh, that's one mm-hmm. of the best offensive guards in this league. Um, and Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. They're the Super Bowl champions. You know, Bruce Arians has got everybody. They're 100% vaccination rate already. We're talking game one, 100% team against losing one of your best players. Uh, that might be a bigger issue this year than it was last year on certain teams. Um, uh, You know, Tom Brady, I'm going to start going down this road, Jody. I haven't done it to date. I'm going to start. It's got to happen sooner or later. I, I think age is going to catch up to Tom Brady this year at some Ooh. point, but not week one. I've I've only done that like eight times in the last I eight years, so I haven't done it yet. But it,
2: it it's got to happen. It's got to happen. Oh, I I have, and I will readily admit. It's a little on the wishful thinking side because yeah, I want to see well, Tom yeah, Brady get, reasons, get yeah. lose the father time. I, it's going to happen at some point. So why not foresee it before it does happen? And then, like I said earlier in the show, when you're wrong, you have to admit that you're wrong. Some people do a great job at dodging that. I try not to. Yeah, I've been wrong when I've gone down the road. If Tom Brady's finally going to get old this year, he probably won't again. But I'll I'll, I'll, I'll optimistically believe that's the case. Just not tonight against the Cowboys.
3: Yeah, not week one. Probably week nine, week ten. The aches and pains are going to start catching up to him. Yeah, Probably not. Played all all of
2: last year with a torn MCL that we heard nothing about until after he threw the uh, Super Bowl trophy in the river down there in uh, Tampa. And then we found out. I think he did it in third grade, as a matter of fact, and he's been playing (laughs) with it. Ever since. Um and I wanted to bring this up with Martin Frank. Shame on me, uh forgot, ran out of time. Uh well his his thing went a little wonky on him, his Wi-Fi. Um, but you know the Vikings, you're a former Viking guy. Uh the, the their offensive lineman signed a big deal. Uh, yeah. during, uh a lot yesterday. of money. Ninety-two point five million five five-year deal um is Brian O'Neill, that good a right tackle I know I I am the guy who always roots for the guys who don't get paid and there are certain positions in certain sports where you get paid that much more just because you play that position which I don't think is necessarily fair I know it's kind of right and just and they figure it out and that's why they do it but you can be better than anybody else at a certain position, which means you should be the bar set who gets a lot of money. Right tackle is one of those positions. Lane Johnson's done okay for himself here in Philadelphia. Is Brian O'Neill that good a tackle that he's getting close to 20 million a year to play right tackle?
3: Yes and no. He's a good player. He's he's a really good player. I would, you know, if you're doing right tackles, he'd probably be right in that position. Uh, 8, 9, 10 range, top 10 player at the position, but certainly not at the top of the position. Uh, Minnesota's had a lot of problems on the offensive line. He's been really their only good player. So that plays into it as well. They're a little bit, I think, desperate to hold on to, you know, the one offensive lineman they've been able to cultivate and find over the past couple of years. So he's a really good player probably getting paid a little bit too much. You know, I I think it's number two when you look at the landscape of right tackles in this league, doesn't belong in that rarefied air. But as I talk about all the time, Jody, it's timing and circumstance. You're up. You're going to try to set the bar or come as close to it as possible. Really, the comparison here, you know, Lane Johnson is probably a little peeved off. But I think the bigger comparison is Dallas Goddard because of what's going on at tight end. Dallas Goddard's a perfect example. Dallas Goddard's like the Brian O'Neill of tight ends. Really good player. Not in the top tier of, of, of the players at the position, but he's going to get paid like it because that's how the NFL works. Being up for the guy due for the contract at the right time can
2: get you uh, a lot of cash. All right. Uh, you're going to get Kratz with us tomorrow? we got to get Ed Kratz on before the, the, the season starts, right? He is our most distinguished Yeah, cat. he is. We've and, had and, him and,
3: on more than anybody else. You're going to be able to uh, – I, I, You got I don't, any pull with him? I, I do have some pull, and I don't think he's going to be able to do tomorrow because he's got to move in his son uh, to a new apartment in New York City. Mm. So – Maybe I'll ask. Maybe okay. he's not doing it till later in the afternoon. But I know he's got. I know he's not going to practice because he's got to do that. Uh, so he might be out of the loop uh, right. tomorrow.
2: I thought for sure we we're going to have Kratz, but if he's got more important thing to do than coming on Birds three sixty five, uh, we can understand that. All right. Uh, I I do want to say this before we wrap up today's show. We lost a really good philadelphia eagle fan last night um as i was on wip i found out my from my producer mike angelina who was also big daddy graham's producer for uh, many years on wip uh that we lost big daddy last night um big daddy had some health issues a couple years ago he had an issue where uh he had a bleed into his spine and it uh relegated big daddy to a wheelchair over the last several years Of his life. He had some other issues, including a cancer survivor uh, previously. Um, It became known to me that Big Daddy had passed last night. And we decided, Mike and myself, that we weren't going to say anything because the family had not made an announcement. They did this morning on the morning show. Ava Graham, part of the WIP morning show, was off this morning because uh, Big Daddy passed some, at some point uh, yesterday or, or last night, um, he was a Philadelphian through and through and a diehard Eagle fan. A, a four for four guy who loved all of the teams here in town, but wasn't afraid to call any of the teams on the carpet when he thought they were bad. Um, I had the great pleasure of working with Big Daddy for years at WIP. I had the great pleasure of watching him perform as a stand-up comedian. Uh, I had him on my show a lot. He would, uh, uh, I would do his show and stick around uh, quick, funny, aside to Big Daddy. Uh, the ter- uh, he and I would work back-to-back. I would get off the air at 2 o'clock. He would come on at 2 o'clock. And you're supposed to hand it off to the next show so that he came on right at 2 o'clock. Many times, Big Daddy Graham would not get on the air till like 2.20. Why? Because he would come in into the crossover, and he and I would start like you and I started <laughs> in the first hour of the show, and we just yell at each other. Sometimes we'd laugh at each other, but we'd yell at each other, too. we disagree, and he was just that kind of guy. And then he, I'd get up and lead the show, and Big Daddy, hey, thank you, appreciate it. And if he had to do 20 minutes less, because he and I did 20 minutes at the start of his show, that was perfectly fine with me. I'm dying to get home and go to bed. But if I got into a Big Daddy Graham, I love getting into it with him. Um, It's much too early. I believe he's 68 years old. So we lost a true Philadelphia sports fan, legend, broadcaster, entertainer, above all those other things. He was just a great dude and a great guy. Good family member. I met both his wife and I certainly know his daughters and the like. Uh, Big Daddy, you will be missed and. Hopefully the Eagles have a pretty good season going out the door to uh, tip of the cap of a guy like Big Daddy Graham.
3: Yeah, such a unique personality too. I love the fact that he was a stand-up comedian. He could bring that different sort of tint to it. I wasn't on with him very much because you know me, Jody. I got that 12 o'clock cutoff, 11 o'clock cutoff. Really. No, I'm, I'm lucky to get John on my show. You got no chance. Big Daddy Graham had no yeah,
2: chance at Johnny Mac.
3: Overnight uh, uh, overnight guy. Now you start thinking about it, You're disappointed because he asked me to come on a bunch of times. And I'm like, I, you know, I love the guy. I remember going to the movies when people went to the movies and Voorhees. And I hear this big voice. And there he is with the leather jacket. And I'm like, Big Daddy Graham. Great, great guy. So sad. You're right. Tremendous, and and more than anything else. I mean, that's everybody liked the guy. That's that's the best uh, uh, thing you can say about anybody. Because I can't say I can tell you this. I can't even get my co-host to like me. Everybody liked <laughs> Big Daddy Graham. <laughs>
2: Oh, I love you, buddy. Just every <laughs> once in a while, you're, you're like a dog with a bone, and there is no winning that one. You always lose when the dog wants the bone. Um, yeah, I got uh, to meet Big Dad before I worked for him. He worked for a different radio station in town. when We had a mutual friend, uh, Neil Hartman, and uh, got to hang and uh, uh, get to know Big Daddy Gram before we ever worked together. Uh, just a stone-cold class guy. And one funny individual, he certainly lived up to his... Uh, a reputation as a good stand-up comedian, and he was able to bring that onto the airwaves of WIP low these many years. Our condolences to uh, the entire Cadana's family, because, yeah, I think most of you know that Big Daddy Graham was his, quote-unquote, stage, stage name. name.
3: Yeah. And I gotta was, get a stage name, by the way, Chet. Uh,
2: I think you need to do that at the start of your yeah, career. Your career late. is actually uh, developed late. a little bit here, but he might be a little too late for that. But You're um, right. We, right. we will uh, forever miss Big Daddy Graham, and again, our condolences to all his family, friends, and the like. All right, you and me tomorrow again. If you want to create a stage name uh, tonight, and you want to give it to me before we start <laughs> too the late. show tomorrow, you're right. You're, I, always, yeah, I'll, you're I'll, right. I'll, I'll reference you, you right.
3: however you want to be right. referenced, big guy.
2: If you just tell but, me I, what it I is, always,
3: you know my Twitter handles, JF McMullen. I always said that, but it's too pretentious. I I don't like people who do that. They yeah. do the initial thing. But Super but, but it did work for Big Daddy Graham. We surely uh, understand that. All right. Uh,
2: yes, uh, John and I, or whatever, John Snowden the Bloom <laughs> is going to be tomorrow. You're going to have to tune in and find <laughs> out here on Birds 365. We're right back at you 22 hours from now. And get – what are you doing? Get on uh, Jacob Media right now. Subscribe. What do you think? Never mind. We'll see uh, you tomorrow.
4: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Save big money now on new siding from LP SmartSide at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding.